you know, you don't really get the same experience as you do. Is that my phone? Bat, bat, the bat phone's going. Uh, Governor Carney is uh, on the line. If does it say? Uh, does it say Jay? If it says John Carney, you might have to pick that up. I'm pretty sure it's not. But uh, but yeah. So. Comrades, uh, how are you all doing? Uh, Carl and I wish you and yours uh, health and safety during this time of our plague. Uh, the the, un- the uncertainty uh, is pretty stressful. Uh, the health ramifications are uh, pretty scary, uh, but we we just keep on. Uh, the struggle continues. You know, we keep it on. Um, we're safe here in Highlands Bunker, of course, in the shadow of Rockford Tower, in the belly of the beast, behind enemy lines. Uh, we, we're, we're bruised and beaten right now, uh, as you probably know if you follow the news, but we're, we're still in this fight. We're never going to stop. We're like Rasputin. You can't kill us. You can stab us. You can throw us in the river, poison us. We'll never die. Um, I want to introduce our guest tonight. Um, Saran Cade is the uh, Secretary of Labor for the state of Delaware. Uh, and he is also, he got both his uh, bachelor's degree and master's degree. I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention the Delaware State University. He's got, the, he's got the cap on. I mentioned, now you're not the first alum to be on. Uh, you were beaten mm-hmm. by Marie Pinckney. Marie Pinckney beat you by like a month or two or whenever she was on. But I noticed that That's she fine. also she also got you. But I like this. I like this uh, influx of, of Hornets. Fan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm always fascinated by um, the story of somebody's uh, coming up, like where they're from, mm-hmm. what it was mm-hmm. like, and uh, sort of how it, uh, how it inspired them or didn't inspire them to sort of do the things they've chosen to do. A lot of them are in the public realm. So um, mm-hmm. how, how, how'd you grow up? Where are you from? I appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of your show. So um, I appreciate the invite. Well, I really appreciate um, I, that. Thank I, you. No, no problem, man. I, I grew up in, uh, in, in and around Washington, D.C. Um, my family's been in D.C. since probably the 30s and um, came up from South Carolina during uh, that, that great migration and um, really spread out in D.C. And, and we've been there ever, ever, ever since. And, um, you know, grew up, you know, my mom was a teacher. Um, in the D.C. school system. My father, um, you know, he, he became a lawyer later on in life, but he had some run-ins with the law when we were a little bit younger uh, that kind of stymied his growth a little bit. Um, but, you know, we got to watch him go back to school and, you know, get his education. A lot of people don't get to see their parent graduate from college. Um, and so I had that luxury and kind of watched him uh, mature. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I came up in D.C. I felt like it was a normal childhood. I mean, I'm sure everybody feels like their childhood is normal. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't we weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination uh, with your mom being a teacher. But, you know, we um, we, we were able to we, we, we had a heck of a lot of love in the house. So um, but they split up a little bit later in life, uh, ended up going to Delaware State University to play football. Uh, that's how I got to Delaware. I uh, majored in political science and, um, you know, 
just, I got attached to Delaware. I always tell people I can't, I left DC and came to Delaware to get close to politics. Um, you know, you probably wouldn't, you know, understand that unless you were from DC, but when you grow up out there, you know, it's, it's, you're around politics so much, you're around government, but you don't have any representation in Congress, you know, you don't have governors, you just have city government. So you got to focus on, you know, most of the people who come into DC for politics are coming from somewhere else. So, um, the idea of coming to Delaware while everybody was trying to get to DC uh, made a heck of a lot of sense for me when I started to get into my career field. Now, was you know, the uh, which, what, was the move from DC to to Dover a, a, a sort of a culture shock? Uh, how uh, was culture that? Culture shock. Uh, I mean, look, I grew up in DC in the '80s and '90s, yeah. So it was the epitome of Chocolate City at that time, and yeah. then I ended up going to then I went to an HBCU. Um, you know, and so, so yeah, I mean, leaving, I guess you know, I sort of really mean, feel it. I guess I sort of mean, but, not the culture necessarily, but the yeah, surroundings, the, the, you know, you're in a, you're in sort of an urban happening surrounding and then you're sort of, uh, in a, in a more a rural surrounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a part of it, you know? And so it's all of it. It's the rural surrounding, it's the cultural, uh, surroundings, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up in an area where it was, you know, fast paced 24 seven, um, you know, but everything was black owned, black run, and it was pretty much a sheltered existence that you grew up in. Um, you know, I didn't, it wasn't until I came to Delaware that I started, you know, you, you were forced to kind of look at race from an economic standpoint, because when I grew up in DC, I mean, DC has, you know, rich black neighborhoods, rich, you know, white neighborhoods, they're mixed, they're diverse. Um, and so you could say that you were in a rich neighborhood and you would never think that you were in a white neighborhood or a black neighborhood. You could have been in a rich black neighborhood. You just never put dollars and cents to, to race. And it was a very, pretty sheltered, you know, existence, um, you know, if you think about it. And so, you know, when I came to Delaware, it was a little bit of a slap of reality um, that, that there's still a heck of a lot of segregation um, in, in this country, that there's still um, a lot of misunderstandings is still a lot of people whose outcomes are determined based on the zip code that they're born in, into. And, um, you know, when I came out here, uh, I just saw a lot of opportunity, uh, especially in politics and government, uh, because we're so small. Uh, and I just got excited uh, at the opportunity. But, you know, yeah, it was a heck of a culture shock when I first got out here. Sometimes you don't realize it as much when you go to Dale State because it's such a closed off campus. You know, um, unlike, you know, UD, where it's open and it's in the community, um, at Dell State, you know, you, you're like off in the middle of, of Dover. It's, you know, the campus is all gated off. It's nothing that you really need outside of the campus. So you can almost feel like you're in your own world there. So, so yeah, we, it, it, was, it was a pretty, you know, um, it was a pretty big culture shock. I will say that. I will say that. But in a yeah. good way. In a good yeah. way. No, I I I feel yeah. that. Yeah, it just it just seems so much. Just the when you think of Dover and DC, that part of it. But <laughs> but, but Dell State is very unique. Like like you said, the University of Delaware, where I went, where Carl right. uh, still well, if he ever gets back there. Um, yeah, there's there's overlap. It's sort of like there's yeah. it's, it spills out into the neighborhoods, and there's no yeah. like what's the campus and what's Newark. I mean, you definitely yeah. know if you're on campus or on Newark in Newark, but there are places yeah. where you're kind of both, you know, right. Um, where right. Del, Del State's not really like that. 
No, I mean, it's 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 it's, its own little world uh, in there. And you can kind of forget you're in Delaware sometimes because uh, a lot of the folks who, who went there, especially when I was there, it wasn't a whole, not until the seed program was established, there wasn't a whole lot of um, uh, uh, Delaware uh, residents there. We, we've just started increasing our number of Delaware residents that are going there, that are, that are attending Dell State. Um, most of the Delaware residents who went to Dell State were commuters when I was there. It wasn't a whole lot of them who were staying on campus. So it was a lot of people from Philadelphia and New York and D.C. And they all kind of hung in packs and had their own areas. So you could be in Philadelphia one day uh, and on the other side of campus, you could be in D.C. Um, so, so you didn't really get as much of an opportunity because it was so closed off to explore Delaware uh, until I probably graduated. So you, you, I think, I think it's fair to say that your uh, intro into the sort of the politics game, as far as Delaware goes, was a pretty standard sort of um, pretty standard entry, you know, legislative aid uh, and up the, up the ladder into getting involved in, you know, more and more labor sort of things. What was that like? I mean, you can, do you have, um, like sort of what you what you yeah. what you learned so, from that to doing that track. Yeah. So so you know uh, uh, um, I yeah. So so to that point, um, when I first when I got to college, I mean, first I got to explain how I got into politics. I mean, it, it may seem like it makes sense because I grew up in D.C. and I was around it. Um, I did major in political science, but you know, to be quite honest with you, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was playing football, so. You know, I, I was I was majoring in politics because, you know, I was interested in it and I was playing football because I loved it and it was paying the bills. And, um, you know, I had some the kind of typical college football story hurts his knee in his final couple of years. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, things unraveled. But that was actually a true story for me. I, I, I banged up my knee at the end of my junior year. And we had a new coaching staff that came in during that time period. And um, they, you know, when a new coaching staff comes in, you know, their response is they want to bring in their people, you know, which is completely understandable. Um, they want to bring in their folks. They want to bring in their people. And, um, you know, if you've got some guy who can't play until, you know, October, um, he's not really of the same level of value to you, um, and you could use his scholarship. So um, after uh, when you know, I, I, after my after my surgery, the doctor said that I wouldn't be able to come back until probably September. The coaches came to me and said that they were going to reduce my scholarship in half, but I could earn it back in summer camp. And I was like, "What? Well, the, the doctor said I wouldn't be able to play until September." And they were like, "Oh, well, you know, screw it. Sucks, sucks to be you." Um, and so, um, I, I, I ended up quitting. That was like the first thing that I'd ever quit in my life. And I've been playing sports, you know, my whole life up to that, to that point, organized sports, my whole life up until that point. And, um, I really fell into like a really bad depression man. like, um, you know, everything had really changed. You know, you go from being five years old to every, you know, week, it's either some type of organized sport to playing in high school and college to just one day, um, you're just a normal student. Um, and so, you know, one of my academic advisors, Dr. Uh, Sam Hoff, um, he, he reached out to me because I missed a few classes, um, which, you know, 
uh, uh, wasn't really normal for his class. And he said, you know, um, I know you're not playing ball anymore, but, you know, you, you really have a great grasp of the stuff of the subject matter. You know, you should think about getting more involved outside of, you know, the, the actual classroom. And, you know, the college Democrats might be a good thing to think about joining. And so um, I said, all right, you know, I'll check it out. I'll come show up to a meeting. And so I showed up to the next meeting and I go come into the room and it's just him there and, and me. And so I'm like, man, this organization sucks. You know, nobody's showing up, you know, these, you know, young people don't vote is that whole mentality. And, um, and so I'm sitting in there and I'm expecting maybe some more people to show up and he starts the meeting and he says, you know, first order of business, we are nominating, for, you know, for president and I'm going to nominate Saran Cage. And, you know, I started looking around. I'm like, whoa, 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 I object. He's like, oh, you're not a member yet. You don't have a vote. And, like, <laughs> pushes the vote through by himself and, like, hands me the gavel. And I'm like, you know, there's nobody here. And he's like, good, that's your first order of business. You know, you got to, you know, get folks here. And so that's, that was really, like, the, the opening to me getting involved. It was just, you know, somebody who, which is one of the reasons why I love Dell State is because it's a family atmosphere. I think anybody that you meet who talks about their experience there, the thing that they will talk about is how much of a family atmosphere it is. It was somebody who just like, you know, saw that things weren't going right with you and, you know, they didn't give you any type of a handout or anything like that. They just put an opportunity in front of you and it was up to you to kind of take it. And so, um, yeah, I started, you know, organizing locally for the Democratic Party as head of the college Democrats at Dell State. And um, at the time, Howard Dean was the vice, was the uh, chairman of the DNC. And I don't know if you remember that uh, Howard Dean had his 50 state strategy. I do remember. Um, yeah. And so um, that was that would have been 2006 ish. And Howard Dean's 50 state strategy required each state to have two organizers. And so uh, we have been doing some work communicating with the DNC on our organizing efforts and stuff on campus. And the local party had taken notice and said, hey, we got this kid at Dell State who, you know, is recruiting volunteers and doing all these other things. You know, we think that he would be a great, you know, fit. And, you know, so I got hired through the 50 state strategy in its final year, actually, um, to be one of Delaware's organizers. So you know, I came in through the campaign side. Um, you know, that was my that was how I got the position in the um, in legislative hall. Um, and so, you know, which is very similar to what a lot of folks, you know, end up doing. They work on the coordinated campaigns. They work, you know, locally in, in political campaigns. And you know, if they have what it takes uh, there. Uh, they have the educational requirements or whatnot, then they take a position in legislative hall. And so that's how I, you know, kind of got in. Um, I worked in that 2008 campaign cycle, um, and we were able to win the House locally for like the first time in like 40 years. Uh, Democrats took over the House of Representatives, and we still hold it today, and um, started working in legislative hall like right out, like the next month after the campaign was over, um, and just took the whole old... The old Delaware, you know, uh, Route One route. Um, route One uh, through the yeah, Route One football the old straight man. <laughs> took the old Delaware Route One route, you know, to, through through politics. 
as you're telling the story, all I could think of was, oh man, they usurped him. They got him in there. They're like, oh, we got to get this guy. You got, you got, oh, yeah. you got usurped by Babylon. They got you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, look, and, and, and here's the crazy part. The crazy part is during that time period, I was doing a lot of organizing, you know, trainings and things like that. And, um, you know, doing trainings, training trainers, um, training organizers, and, um, you know, doing a lot of work with the National DNC and um, Netroots and NOI back in the day who were kind of like the precursors to uh, all of the Obama for Americas and all the other organizations that came up after him. And kind of, it, it was the programs that kind of spun out of Howard Dean's campaign, if you remember, it was a bunch of those organizing groups. And so, um, you know, I came out of those, but, you know, that, that summer was the summer that this guy named Barack Obama was thinking about running for, was, was actually running in the primary. Um, and, and this was like, this would have been the summer of 07. And um, <laughs> you talk about getting taken over by Babylon. I turned down going to South Carolina to work for that little known Senator so I could stay here in Delaware and um, work on the, the coordinated campaigns. Um, and so, you know, everybody nowadays is like, Oh, you really screwed that up. You know, I, I don't think I did. You know, I think, I think we turned out pretty okay. Um, in, in the grand scheme of things. Well, let's get into it. Cause I, I, the big, I, d- I definitely want to save some time at the end and talk about, um, some of the COVID response, because as yeah. you sort of were mentioning casually at the beginning, um, obviously there's a huge coordinated effort um, with everyone um, from the governor down. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I, I'm on Twitter, you know, a lot. And I, I'm a, I'm a staunch critic of the governor from way back, uh, but I, I haven't, you. but I haven't been criticizing him very much. You know, I think this is a pretty, this is a pretty fucked up situation and, Mm-hmm. You know, anybody who's diving in there and just w- doing their best and trying to take it as it comes, uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I give people credit. So I, there's a moratorium on, on uh, carny criticism for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good, good. Uh, Appreciate that. No, no worries. Solidarity. Uh, you, Solidarity. You, you, came, you, you came on the show just at the right time. There'll be, there'll be, <laughs> there'll be, there'll be no bad mouthing of your boss here, I can assure you. <laughs> Good, good. Appreciate uh, but, it. No worries. <laughs> although he's a, although he's a big boy, he can take it. Uh, 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 and so I, I don't think he needs the uh, needs it, but it's definitely appreciated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, but I guess that the, the the thing I wanted to explore, um, I'll I'll describe like this. Um, you know, a few months ago, uh, we went and sort of uh, voiced our dissent. Uh, to uh, one of the uh, economic uh, councils giving uh, some money to Amazon. Council of Development Finance. Yeah, yeah. And, right. and you know, we've talked about it from a lot of different angles, and we've talked about it with a lot mm-hmm. of different people who were there and weren't here. And so mm-hmm. in, in, in sort of taking some notes and doing some reading uh, beforehand, I came across uh, an interview you did on a show that's uh, aptly named The Delaware Way. Yeah. Uh, uh, talking about the original, uh, the original uh, proposal to Amazon when they were looking to move their their second headquarters. Yes. Yes. And HQ2. I mean, yeah. And I mean, you're 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 polished. You're good. You know what to do. And you, <laughs> I, it's it's the you know it's the it's the occasionally it's the it's the list. Occasionally. 
and and occasionally. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. The list is generally yeah. something like, well, we're also just selling our area. We're trying mm -hmm. to we're trying to attract uh, more companies. Uh, we're trying mm -hmm. to show that this is a good place for entrepreneurs. Uh, mm -hmm. We're trying to show that uh, professional people can come here and and, mm -hmm. and maybe and jobs and jobs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it just struck me that that's sort of like the last thing. Um, really what the effort is, is to convince or coerce um, firms to move their plants here, to convince mm -hmm. firms to invest in real estate here, um, mm -hmm. et, et cetera, to convince entrepreneurs to bring, to start their businesses here, or to mm -hmm. convince people to buy businesses or keep businesses here. And it struck mm -hmm. me that that's, that's not labor. That's, mm -hmm. that's management. That's capital. Like, so... So as somebody, yeah. it, it, it just struck me that the, the way that we even look at things, we mm -hmm. look at that as being the late, all of that being a labor issue. And it's mm -hmm. not, it's actually the, well, they're, they're actually, if you want to look at it from a class perspective, right. they're the enemy right. of labor. So, so this is what I say. One, when we did that interview, um, I was actually just leaving economic development. So they were asking me that question from the perspective of the former economic development director rather than the current labor secretary. But I get your point, because even nationally, um, labor offices uh, definitely um, play a role in providing information and uh, assistance with regard to businesses. What I say is, um, is, is one, um, I think you're half right. I think, one, that business and, and, and corporations can be the enemy of workers if they um, uh, uh, operate in nefarious ways uh, or they do whatever they can to drain their workers or take advantage of their workers or commit fraud against their workers or deny them adequate wages uh, for, for fair work. Um, I think they can become the enemy of, of workers, but that's not to say that every single business is the enemy of workers. That's not you know, it would be difficult for workers to operate out here if it were not for some type of, you know, entity. I mean, of course, you've got co-op opportunities. You've got, you know, other opportunities where workers are invested in the business that they're working for. But, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find um, a thriving economy where you don't have a, a equal balance or sometimes an unequal balance between, you know, and unequal in the favor of the work, worker, that is. Um, you know, but where you don't have some level of balance between a thriving environment for businesses that can still be protection protect workers and ensure that they earn fair wages. I think that history has shown us that at the time periods where workers have earned fair wages and where workers have been protected are times that businesses have thrived. I think what happens is you get a bastardization of, you know, the economy and the marketplace where businesses have the ability to um, stop or restrict some of the true rules of the marketplace that are meant to benefit workers. So if you've got an environment where businesses can, you know, influence policy decisions, where businesses can influence the regulatory uh, system in a way that takes advantage of workers, then you throw that balance off kilter. And that's where we are. And no one will be wrong for looking at the past 40 years and being like, you know, I just don't see how businesses can coexist with, you know, workers these days. And I think that's because we've seen just like a gross bastardization of, 
you know, the marketplace. But I think if you look back at history, you'll see that some of the, the best times of our economy, workers were earning, you know, fair wages as compared to uh, the businesses that they were working for. So, you know, I think we can have it both ways, but I think what we've seen most recently, um, it hasn't been bearing that type of fruit. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would look at it like this. Uh, you know, clearly a worker is going to perform some task, and until we're able to do something about the means of production or, or be able to incent more co-ops and things like that, this is the system that, that we have. I guess, I guess my uh, sort of broader philosophical question is, mm-hmm. who is going to be incented to do what? So the, right. mar- the market incents a capitalist to leverage their capital to make more capital, usually done mm-hmm. by some- somebody's labor. Okay. Right. That's just the way that works. We, all, we understand that. Now, mm-hmm. as, as the state or the state, mm-hmm. whether it's the state of Delaware or just, just the general state, the deep um, state, right? the, the deep state, deep. That's a deep. deep. <laughs> uh, should should the should the concept of government be mm-hmm. to be to incent to the create some sort of environment whereby mm-hmm. those people need to be incented further mm-hmm. uh, to to be able to, uh, to 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 leverage their capital in even more of a uh, beneficial mm-hmm. way. While we can't, I mean, for example, just a, a concrete example, the, the, the minimum wage should have been $20 an hour two years ago. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if on one hand, the state can't raise the minimum wage mm-hmm. um, and, and, and can't get the share of health care that people pay down mm-hmm. and all of the mm-hmm. things that the state does, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know conceptually what. I, I think there's a misdirection of the power yeah. of the of the bureaucrat. Yeah, no, look, um, I think you're, I think you're, I think you're right when you talk about in theory. In theory, you know, government should not be incentivizing businesses to do what they're going to do anyway. With you know, they're incentivized to grow because it's in their economic interest to grow. Um, so, so I, I agree with that. I think in practice. What we've, what the system, the system that we've adopted, that we've jumped into, is one where every state right now. Look, I used to be secretary. Of, I was actually the last secretary of the Econo- Office of Economic Development, um, and so I had the pleasure of traveling around the country and selling Delaware to businesses, um, and, and and that was our responsibility. And you know, we looked at that system, and it just didn't, it just doesn't work, and it didn't work, and. Um, you know, one of the big problems that we have in that system is that all states are involved. Um, all states are involved. All states are doing it. States that are bigger than us. Um, and it's one of those things where I really feel like the, for, for us to really stop what I'm assuming that you're talking about is the direct incentives to businesses. Um, I, I, I think that we that you would need some type of federal law that would come in and just basically have a ceasefire, essentially, where all, everybody puts their, their guns down. I've worked with a lot of these economic development directors in the past, and, you know, it's almost like one of those wild, wild west things, like, you know, I'll put my gun down. No, no, you put your gun down first. No, I'll put my, you, you put yeah. yours down, and I'll put mine down. 
And when you have states that are literally offering businesses that are in your state, and I'll give you a good example of this. And again, I'm not saying that any, that any of that is, is right. I'm just saying that it's much bigger than just saying, you know, just one person saying, I'm going to, I'm going to stop. Um, I think it's one of those things where it needs to be almost like how we're addressing COVID, that virus as a region and collectively. Um, I don't, I think this type of mentality is one that we have to fight regionally as well. And states have to be unified because if I tell this business over here, you know, um, we really view incentives as making sure that we have a thriving education system and making sure that we have a robust transportation system and public transit system in our state to make sure that workers can get from point A to point B, that we make sure that we are as, you know, uh, welcoming of a state to as, as we can be for workers, that they feel protected here, that they feel uh, that they're going to get fair wages. We think that that is not only going to promote, you know, the best, the strongest workforce, but we think that you're also going to end up attracting some of the, you know, best and brightest workers uh, uh, in the region uh, or best and brightest talent in the region. And so, you know, we can say that to them, but then they've got shareholders. And I've worked with companies where I'm talking to the CEO and the CEO is like, no, Saran, we want to be here. But I've got shareholders who are telling me that Boston is offering $3 million right now for our company to move to Boston. And I'm ready to stay here and I want to be here. But, you know, I've got shareholders. Majority of the, a lot of the decisions that are made nowadays with regard to businesses are not made like they used to be where it's some CEO that's sitting in Wilmington who likes to be here because, you know, his in-laws are living here. It's decisions that are made by these by boards who couldn't care less about the, you know, tie to being in your state. Um, they just care about that bottom line. And so you have governors and you have, you know, economic development agencies around the country that because of that dynamic, they, they engage in this wild, wild west strategy where it's every state for themselves instead of kind of coming together collectively and saying, look, we can't do this anymore. Um, and, 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 and then, you know, you get the fear of the smaller states who say, well, look, if we can't play in that game, they're just going to go to New York. They're just going to go to California. They're just going to go to all of the big attractive states. Well, let, and, me, let me ask this. Then. Know, if it's, if it's a, I don't if it's necessarily a, know that's true. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's my point. If it's, if it's a game against states and yeah. it's like I don't want to disarm because I want to be in that fight, but what does that mm -hmm. fight – what do you win? Like what right. – like, so Amazon has a huge plant, has a couple huge things here. Mm -hmm. um, and so just recently they started paying $15 an hour, but there's no, you know, I mm -hmm. see Amazon drivers around. I know they don't, have yeah. they don't have benefits for their kids. They don't have their yeah. work, their working conditions are poor. So mm -hmm. like when you win, when, mm -hmm. when you actually win and you're like, we, oh, so mm -hmm. Boston gave the $3 million to move the company there. Mm -hmm. What did they win? They, mm -hmm. Okay, they're there. Like, I guess that, like, for example, mm -hmm. all of the banks are here because we right. set up, we set up a very uh, advantageous place to incorporate mm -hmm. banks for all the reasons that yeah. we know. Now we right. have, we have a very, uh, we have a strong uh, professional managerial class here mm -hmm. in Delaware, but really all that mm -hmm. does is increase the, the wealth inequality increases the segregation especially in wilmington and in other places mm -hmm. even downstate um so like 
I'm I'm not sold on the fact that if we like doing it, I'm not sold on the fact that people that do it actually win anything other than for a very mm-hmm. small uh, mm-hmm. small collection of interests that actually right. so like you can put a dollar amount on it for you know the Chamber of Commerce, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's a benefit to the state. Quote unquote. Right. It's, right. it's where, what, what do you value? What, what is important? Right. What should you be trying to improve? What are your goals? Like, so well, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know what you win when you win that. Game. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to be quite honest with you, I, 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 I don't disagree with you on that. I mean, the question to me really is, would you have been able to get the business without it? Like that ends up being the question. Would that business have come here without it? And to be quite honest with you, there's some businesses who um, probably would have come without it. Um, and there's some businesses who I can honestly say, you know, had we not at least shown some desire for them to remain here, probably wouldn't have. I'll give you an example of one, Insight. Insight is, a, is an example of one of those businesses. I don't know if you've seen lately along Augustine Cutoff, that huge campus that they've built, um, where Wanamaker, uh, the old Wanamaker building. Oh, used to we be. have we have operatives all over this area. We know all about <laughs> it. <laughs> so you know they they I mean they are growing by leaps and bounds, and they started as kind of like a little twelve person shop. I think that I I I think they're an example of what this system that you're talking about could begin to evolve or devolve into depending on which direction you're looking at i, I guess i look at it like this I, I, what, what i mean and and you're right that's been an incredible success but it depends on how you measure success. but that's but but that's but that's my point but that's my point i think i think you got to draw a distinction between giving a large corporation money to come here versus supporting a small business which insight was 12 person shop where the guy, a guy spun out at DuPont who had an idea about a cancer treatment drug and a group of scientists came together out at DuPont to set it up and kind of kickstart it and, and, and grow it. Um, I, I think that's a little bit different than what you're talking about with regard to giving a company who's the richest company in the, co- in the world money to come to Delaware. Absolutely. Am, am I clear? Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's absolutely. I got. Okay. I, I, yeah, that's completely. That's a different situation. Okay. At the face of it, no, okay. no doubt. Okay. So, so with regard to the, so I'll leave the insight one alone and just focus on the Amazon since that seems to be where the issue is. One, I would say this, and this is not me trying to, you know, uh, 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 you know, spin anything. You feel how you feel about the governor. Uh, I understand where you're coming from. He and I disagree from time to time as well. You saw um, me taking a sip not, of that beer, so you said that. So I'm a, I had to, I had to is, turn away. But, but, I, but, I, but I think that, you know, you should, we should recognize that. And I know this is one of those, look, you know, they always say that policy making is like, you know, you know, uh, uh, like, like, you know, making sausage, right? Um, and a lot of people don't want to get into really the, 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 the nuts and bolts of it or the minutia of it. But I think that we got to recognize that, you know, the governor, what he did when he first came in was, you know, rethink the, the way that we do economic development. And it kind of weaned us off. If you could imagine a, a, a drug addict or someone who's addicted to drugs, they can't just stop cold turkey. 
they've got to kind of wean themselves off of it a little bit. And I think that some of the steps that he took um, on the front end when we first got in, when it comes to how these deals are structured, I think they, they I think they're a lot, they're very different than I think somewhat of the projects that you've kind of been describing in the past. Okay, well, but before so, so before we move on, give me an example of what you mean by okay. uh, a sort of a, a move from the projects mm-hmm. of the past. People might say like yeah. I don't know, uh, Fisker or something. Fisker. Or so, the other, so that's the a other, great example. Whatever. So that's a great example. So the structure of how those deals were done with like Fisker, and mind you, I'm not knocking the the, the Markel administration. I used to work for them too. Um, I'm not. Of course you them. have. <laughs> I'm not knocking the Markel administration, but I'm just saying they found themselves in a recession. And Delaware, we've got a reputation of being cowboys. So, you know, we didn't pull any punches. We were losing jobs and they made decisions. And so the, the, some of the decisions that we made was to provide funding to companies on the front end. So I give you $20 million with the hope that you will create jobs for me. And if you don't create jobs for me, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to claw those dollars back. In theory, that may make some sense because, you know, you can always collect your dollars back, but it doesn't because most of the times when it comes time to collect those dollars back, that company is in such financial turmoil that the state is nowhere near the top of the list when it comes to being able to collect during a uh, 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 bankruptcy. So, you know, typically when you have a company like that, the company has maybe like five or six uh, debtors that they have credit to. And if the state is one of them, more than likely the state isn't the number one, you know, on that list. Typically, it's the bank. It might be shareholders or other, you know, groups that'll be there. So by the time you get to the state doing a bankruptcy, it's really nothing left, which is kind of the situation that you have with, had with Fisker, where we gave a whole bunch of money out and nothing came back. We got no jobs and um, a lot of money went out the door and not as much really came back. Similar with Bloom, a lot of upfront money with the promise of dollars coming back to the state um, through employment uh, or other efforts. And so I think that when I was about to leave Dito and come to labor, I think we had, we had clawed back a million dollars from them in state and state taxpayer dollars, nowhere near what was originally invested uh, in that. And so that's how those deals used to be structured. The way that they're structured now, and again, this may seem like it's, it's minor, but it isn't. Um, the way that they're structured now is there's no upfront money that goes out out the door. No upfront money goes out. So when a company, so for example, an Amazon, an Amazon is promised um, a certain percentage of what they're supposed to receive, what they were supposed to pay in personal income tax. So for example, if if you're getting a hundred thousand dollars and you work for Amazon, right? Say you're some executive and you're getting a hundred thousand. Not really an executive, but say you're just making a hundred thousand dollars. So we just keep a round number. Um, you would, we would say that if you're making a hundred thousand dollars, your personal income tax would be 6.6%. So that would be $6,600 that the state is expecting to collect from your employment. What these bills would say is that we'll give you back a rebate of 50% of that. Once you've hired that individual and you show that that person, that, that you've hired that person and you've paid the level of income tax owed to that person, then we will give you a rebate for um, 50% of the personal income tax that that person paid into the system. Still uh, a benefit to the, to the company, but it's not the same as upfront money out the door, 
with a hope and a prayer and crossing our fingers that you're going to create those jobs. If you don't create the jobs, then you don't get the money. But you're not getting a big sweaty check or, or you know, $4 million in your pocket that you can go play with and, you know, maybe screw the state on the back end. So, you know, again, while it may not be perfect, Amazon, even after that meeting that you went to, didn't walk away with a $4 million check. They walked away with a promissory note that if they hire this many people at this, at this rate, then they will get a rebate. So it's almost like when you go to the store to buy a TV, you pay the store for the television and the store, and you mail in a rebate check and the, I mean, and the, and the store pays you back $50 rebate on what you've already paid into the system. So mind you, these would not be dollars that have already been generated by taxpayers and is being paid out. These are dollars that, have all, that are being paid in by Amazon that are then going out to pay, provide them a rebate. So it's revenue neutral from the standpoint that none of those dollars have been generated and have been factored into the general fund. So it sounds like it's like a whole lot of minutia, but the way those deals are structured now, and you can see with the fact that Amazon got 4 million, you're talking about a company that was talking about bringing in, it's talking about bringing in 1,500 people. How many was Fisker's talking about hiring? Nowhere near that amount, and they ended up with 20-something million. And so that like tells you how different these deals are. Amazon gets promised four million. Fisker gets given twenty four million. Yeah, and no, that I, is a different dynamic. I have to, you know, that that's a that's not a perfect, not perfect, but a different dynamic. Yes, and and I think I I would have to agree that that's an improvement upon the the way that we do things. It's a better way to continue to do the same stuff we do. It's definitely a better way. I guess it's, it's a better the way, way that but again, I, it's, it's, it's kind of slowing your, it's, 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 it's moving yourself. I would imagine that, that the idea would also be that it's moving ourselves off of that. Now we can't, we can't go backwards. Um, and, 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 but you know, the hope is that, you know, we're, we're starting to phase ourselves into a place where we can focus on the things that matter. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and so my, just to finish off and I think my critique would be, that if we're moving in the right direction, I appreciate that. But the, the like I said, it, it seems that regardless of what the, the, the mechanism is or how, mm-hmm. we, or how we can structure like in a technocratic way, a more, benefi- mm-hmm. a more beneficial sort of application or implementation of this plan right. or this agreement. What I'm mm-hmm. saying is, is what I see is, okay, we'll talk about the two things we talked about. So mm-hmm. I... I as you said, Insight's been a great success, but mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, engineers and scientists and accountants mm-hmm. um, send their kids to private schools here in Delaware because the because mm-hmm. the taxes are low and they can do that. And mm-hmm. then and so our schools don't don't get any better mm-hmm. uh, yeah. because because we just take this little fraction um, just so we can keep running the state. And on the other mm-hmm. hand, on the on the flip side, on the Amazon side. Yes, they're going to hire a thousand people, thirteen hundred people, you know, and I was there. The lion's share of those people will make, you know, what what somebody in, 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 a, in, a, in a fast food place would make as a shift manager, with with not with poor benefits uh, and a poor. So, like, what are we what are we paying to get back? We the thirteen hundred jobs that work at Amazon with a clipboard where you have to run around a plant uh, with you know with somebody up your ass yeah. every day. And, and no, no, no union, no shit benefits, all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. we're, 
Like we're taking a yeah. little, we're taking a little vig, like a like a bookie would take, just so they yeah. can send 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 rats running around a factory. I don't that that's the concept. Yeah. That's the part I don't. Yeah. Like from a yeah. technocratic standpoint, you're, what you're saying from a technocratic is standpoint, it makes sense. The, I think the it's the practice who that benefit is being provided to, um, then becomes your next question. Right? Is like okay. If that's fine, that me that mechanism makes sense. But I think what you're saying is, you know, how are we targeting who we provide that benefit to? Are we providing it to companies who are going to take care of their workers and pay a fair wage and all these other things? Yeah, um, I mean, if we don't have the underlying yeah. that's and that's again, that's the labor part. Like we're focusing mm -hmm. on we're focusing on doing everything we can to figure yeah. out a good a good way to to deal with capital and deal with the administra right. the administration of the state with right. capital. But in, until we deal with uh, work, until we in, until we allow people to unionize easily, yeah. Uh, until we in, until we say the minimum wage in the entire state's twenty dollars an hour. Until mm -hmm. we do these things, the then all the other stuff doesn't cutting, matter. Cutting a better deal, cutting a better deal with Jeff Bezos, which it is a better deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. cutting that deal, yeah. I don't th I don't think moves the ball that far. I, I totally agree with you, and and and. and you know, that, that's the point where I do agree is that, you know, like I said, I, I served as um, the head of DITO for, for a little over a year, about a year. And um, I've talked to a lot of businesses. And to be quite frank with you, the thing that most of them really care about is where they're going to get the talent from. And to be quite frank and be honest, like, they will pay more money in taxes if they can get the right workforce. And people always think I'm BSing when I tell folks that. Um, and of course, you got, you know, you may have warehouse workers or folks like that where they're not really caring too much about the talented workforce. But even there, because of the advance of technology, even those workers, uh, now that entry level skill set is much, it needs to be much higher than it probably needed to be 20 or 30 years ago. So my argument is that supporting our workforce is the greatest incentive that you could ever provide a business who's planning to come, who wants to come to your state. Supporting your workforce is the greatest incentive that you can provide to a business. Um, they, you know, the, by the time they start asking you about taxes and all that other stuff, they've already made the decision to be there. You know, they're not wasting time talking about taxes if they're not coming um, or, or if you're not at least number one or two on their list. The thing that majority of them care about is, do you have the workers that we need to get what we need done? Do you have the, you know, mechanism to get them there? The, the dirty secret about Amazon is that when they were doing HQ2, they didn't care at all about the incentives. That was a cherry on top. They didn't really care about the incentives. All they cared about was, do you have the population density for us to be able to get scale up to 50,000 software engineers? And do you have the transportation capacity and mechanism to be able to get that workforce to our space? If you give us a billion dollars, great. But that's the question that we're asking. And I think a lot of people, a lot of states, and a lot in the media, a lot of the media missed that point. They didn't end up in Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia didn't give them more money, offer them more money than New Jersey did. New York didn't offer them more money than Texas did. But they ended up there because they needed to be around the people with the talent to do the work that they need. And so if we take our eye off the ball when it comes to supporting our workforce, supporting our education systems, and making sure that we have a robust transportation system, something that I think a lot of people, you know, kind of blow off. But 
if you look at that AstraZeneca deal that was done, you know, 20 years ago, what's the only thing that we're still selling from that deal? The 202 uh, intersection uh, uh, enhancements that happened. Oh, right, 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 um, right, right. By I-95. Right. Yeah. We're still, we're still selling that. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase just added, you know, thousands more employees in that space over there, not because we gave AstraZeneca $15 million 20 years ago, but because we invested in the, you know, something that we can constantly resell generations into the future. We invested in ourselves. We invested in, you know, our our infrastructure. And those are the things that we're going to get more bang out of than just putting money in a company's hand and walking away. And I think that, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, the, the, that, you know, I know you focus on this, but, you know, the governor, the last two infrastructure budgets have been the largest in state's history for this reason, so that we can, you know, uh, uh, improve our infrastructure. We can improve I-95s. We can improve the, the, inter- the intersections to 95, the on-ramps to I-95. We can improve our, our streets. We can improve, you know, our, our infrastructure, we, you know, improve our rail systems, um, get ourselves closer to a point where we can expand commuter rail. Uh, uh, in our state. Like, these are the things that are going to move the economic development ball forward. Um, it's not going to be who's going to be able to write a bigger check. And you know what? We will never be able to write a big enough check. You know, we will never be able to write a big enough check. I mean, we just don't have the tax base to do it. So it's almost like that, you know, it's almost like David versus Goliath. You know, we, you know, you know, the, in David versus Goliath, you know, if, you know, he had to he had to pick up a slingshot to fight his fight. He had to fight his fight the way he was used to. And we can't go up here picking up swords in the same way that New York and California and some of the bigger states are doing to slay this giant. Um, we're going to have to do it with what comes naturally to us. And what that needs to be is, you know, making sure we can wrap our, our arms around all of the workers in our state and make sure they have the resources that they need to be successful. Well, before we before we cut it off, I definitely you were talking about you know, things that are going on right now and things people need right now. Mm-hmm. So let's go over yeah. some, uh, some COVID stuff. Um, yeah. I know, uh, obviously, you know, it's, it's almost like you can't even get your head around some of the numbers, but the unemployment is, is going crazy. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to support, you know, some of the small businesses around, you know, our neighborhood, mm-hmm. but like it does take out mm-hmm. once a is it, you know, you get takeaway once a week. Is that going to keep these people in business? You know? So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So what kind of things are you working on, and what's what are your priorities? So, and how, how's it how's it going? So right now, our priority is right now solely workers, man. You know, it's a lot of people who you know have been impacted by this crisis, uh, no fault of their own, uh, who find themselves out of work. You know, people. Some stuff you've already mentioned. I mean, you got more people living paycheck to paycheck now, um, and it shows because of this crisis. Uh, and, and and not only that, that but it shows how incredibly um, thin the social safety nets we have in the system or in, in the society are uh, for workers. Um, we have not invested in our unemployment system in this country for 40 years, really. Um, we have a 30-year-old mainframe system most states operate with. And, you know, um, they this system, the, the situation that we're dealing with right now is kind of really drawing into the light um, the fact that these unemployment systems, the, the financial uh, uh, assistance that's provided by most states um, and the way they operate just don't work. And it's kind of easy to keep that swept under the rug 
when the only people who are affected by it are folks that don't have lobbyists and can't afford, you know, uh, uh, organizations to come and speak on their behalf. Um, and so, you know, earlier this year, we had, we made a push to increase the weekly min- uh, weekly benefit amount uh, for workers for the first time in 20 years who were on unemployment. Um, and it's still not enough. We m- went and moved it up from like 300 to $400. Uh, and that's still not enough. Um, it's on average, it's, it's about average of what all the other surrounding states are, are paying out. But, um, you know, there just has not been the level of investment into systems that are designed for workers and it's showing right now. So what our focus is, is basically trying to teach a 40-year-old system to do some new tricks um, in order to provide benefits to people that we would not typically be providing benefits to in this crisis. And, um, you know, the federal government is, Seems like they're working around the clock to help us in one hand, and you know, uh, uh, you know, slow our progress down on, on the other. Um, and and you know, uh, we're constantly fighting with them to make sure that we can expand benefits to more uh, workers. So um, it's 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 a complex time right now. You got a lot of businesses who want to reopen the government because I mean the the, the economy because um, understandably they're hurting. They're not generating uh, any any revenue uh, and again we're not talking about the big companies the amazons we're talking about the you know guy who's an or gal who's operating the you know mom or dad's third generation restaurant who's never closed for more than two days in a row um and have now been closed for a month and don't know if they'll be able to open the doors again um and so these aren't you know corporate elites these are you know salt of the earth people who you know, you know, had a dream or fulfilling the dream of a generation that came before them, and um, they're struggling. And you know, and, and at the end of the day, they have it at least better than the workers who work for them, who are living paycheck to paycheck. And the second that paycheck stops, they got to figure out how to make sure that they can keep the lights on and keep food on the table. Um, and so, all of these folks are coming to the Department of Labor right now for service, and we're, we're just—I mean, our systems are are buckling. Under the pressure, I mean, we used to we used to file process about 530 claims a week uh, before this happened, and we probably issued you know 1.5 million, two million dollars in benefits a week. Um, this past week, we did 20,000 claims, um, up from 530, um, and we by the end of this week, we'll probably issue 40 million dollars in weekly benefits to workers. So far, we've processed about 64,000 claims in the last four weeks, uh, which is double what is, basically is, is equivalent to what we processed over the last two years combined. Um, you know, we, we probably average daily about 60,000 calls uh, into our system, and we probably got about 20,000 emails that we're trying to get through. Um, and mind you, this hit states at the least opportune time with their unemployment systems, because the way unemployment works is the federal government in Delaware funds our entire unemployment system. Employers pay for the unemployment benefits. They pay their, their unemployment taxes, pay for the benefits. But our administration and operations is 100% funded by the federal government. The state doesn't kick in a dime. So with the way the federal government funds unemployment is as the economy improves and unemployment goes down, the federal government gives states fewer dollars to operate. So since 2015, the federal government has probably cut our budget half a million dollars a year um, since 2015. So 
when this happened to states, we were all kind of at the bare, at the, you know, very, you know, lowest point on our funding uh, and staffing because the economy had been doing well. So the federal government had been pulling resources back from unemployment instead of providing funding to unemployment during the good time so that we could kind of, you know, kind of the theory of you fix the roof when the sun is shining. You don't wait until it's raining to go out there and try to fix the roof. Um, during those times when the economy is, is, well, is going well are the times that you should really be fortifying the unemployment system to prepare for the next recession. But um, we've never really done that. And so now the kind of chickens are kind of coming home to roost with this crisis. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, you know, the, this, the silver lining, I guess, that I see in the crisis is just that, you know, people do see that the real, the, the, the real thing that keeps everything going are, are workers. It's the mm-hmm. only thing keeping us going right now. Right. Um, right. You, know, you have to, you have to think about just workers in general, um, just, mm-hmm. just bailing out uh, sort of the, or, or focusing on the capital end. It's not going to mm-hmm. you know, do anything for us. And, Right. Uh, I, I, but this is, um, I mean, it's just the numbers you describe are, you know, you can't really even get your head around them, really. And I'm going to, I'm requesting a loan from the federal government to make sure that we can continue to pay out benefits. The government is reimbursing us for our claims, but, you know, we've got to make sure that our accounts stay liquid so that we can continue to provide benefits as we wait on federal reimbursements. So we got to make sure that we have cash on hand. Um, and kind of promissory notes from the federal government for each person's claim and going to cut it. Um, and so starting in, starting when this first occurred midway through March, we probably had about $169 million in the unemployment trust fund. Uh, by the first week of May, we were projecting to run out of funding. Um, so we would have spent $169 million in about six weeks just in unemployment benefits alone. I mean, the, in order for us to make sure that we can continue to pay benefits, especially as the amount that we pay in unemployment rises, we're probably going to be requesting almost a billion dollars from the federal government for a loan just to cover us for three months um, so that we can continue to provide benefits to workers uh, uh, during this time period. So, I mean, these are staggering numbers. Um, but I think to your point about the silver lining, you know, prior to this happening, I was having some, you know, I'm not going to say harsh conversations, but I was having some tough conversations with some um, business groups because of some recommendations that we've had over the last few months and years with regard to worker protections. Um, I would probably argue that we've done more for worker protections in the construction industry and other industries. Um, it hasn't been sexy, but um, it's, 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 it's been a lot of good things that have been occurring to provide greater protections. And we were starting to move before this happened to tip workers and um, shift workers. And we have a, 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 some, some you know, uh, new laws that we were you know, throwing out there. And you know, a lot of the business groups were definitely concerned. You know, we got the moniker of being anti-business pretty quickly um, uh, uh, when, when we started talking about these. Um, but at their core, they were rooted in the idea of supporting workers. And some of these ideas were, you know, even things like, you know, paid family leave, um, paid short-term disability. Um, we also were talking about protections for shift workers and, 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 and the like. And um, we were told those were anti-business. When this first happened, some of those same business leaders who were now very concerned about their 
their workers, you know, they were saying, you know, don't we have some program that we can provide them with funding during this time period while we can't employ them? I'm like, yeah, it's called short-term, you know, disability. It's called paid family leave. And that was just anti-business a year ago. But now, you know, it's a great idea. And I'm like, I just want everybody to keep this energy when this thing is over. Because what we've seen through this process is that the safety net that's in that should be in place for workers is non-existent. And things like paid family leave that some people may have considered anti-business. Now, during this time period, businesses would have loved to have had a program where they didn't have to lay off their workers. They could still keep them on payroll, but depend on a separate supplemental benefit to pay them while they couldn't come into work. You know, businesses would have loved to have that option, but it's like everybody loves, you know, when it's time to pay for, for insurance to pay, but nobody wants to pay the premium, you know, and, and at the end of the day, that was the question. Are you willing to pay the premium so that when something happens, there is some opportunity for a beneficial payout? And so it's like everybody wants the beneficial payout, but nobody wanted to kind of pay the premium in order to get there. Pay, paying wages at all is very anti-business. It's, I'll tell you what, paying, paying wages to anyone really cuts into the bottom line. I don't know if you know that. But, you know, it's, it's like you can't have it both ways, you know. Um, you know, we, we, and again, this goes back to the original point of sometimes how, you know, look, I, I, I don't consider myself, uh, you know, first, I'm not a politician. So I know there's a lot of things that nowadays are popular that, you know, everybody's leaning into or whatnot. Like, I'm not a socialist. You know, I do believe in a capitalist system, um, you know, partly because of my upbringing, partly because of the fact that if run effectively, um, there can be a, a, a level of equality in there if run effectively. If you allow, not allow, but if you make sure that you have a system in place, a government system in place that can regulate that system. If you don't have a government system in place, that can regulate a, a, a capitalist marketplace, then it will be, you know, uh, uh, it, will, it will run them up and it will take advantage of workers and everything else in its wake. And so, but it's important that you have a government system that's able to regulate it effectively. And what's happened along the, along the road is we've had a lot of businesses uh, and a lot of interest groups who have tried to, 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 to minimize or squelch the regulatory and the enforcement component in government and has allowed, have allowed this ecosystem to emerge that has become problematic. And I'll give you a slight example before, you know, you probably cut me off. Um, my agency, we are responsible for enforcement of labor laws throughout the state. For the last 20 years before we came in, before I came in, um, we had never, we had not received an increase in funding, an increase in, 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 employ, in, in, in staffing, or any of that. The economy has grown over 20 years, I mean, by leaps and bounds. We've got more workers in Delaware than we've ever had. We've got more businesses in Delaware than we ever had. The idea that labor enforcement officers who are responsible for making sure that people pay, are actually paid fair wages, making sure that people actually pay their workers' compensation making sure that people actually pay a fair wage in construction projects. We have not funded that entity to keep up with the demand in the workforce, and we have not funded in, in over 20 years. 
anti-discrimination. We've got more businesses here than, than ever before. We've got more people of color, more women, more you know, people in the LGBT community working in those industries than ever before. But we never focus on what's the entity that is responsible for enforcing those laws and make sure that people do it. You can raise minimum wage to $15 an hour all you want. I know businesses that if someone takes their eye off the ball, they won't pay that if they're allowed. So, you know, we have to make sure that if we are going to be people like myself who say that we do believe in a capitalist and capitalism, we, we have to back that up by making sure that the rules of the road and the police that are supposed, the, the, the policing mechanisms that are supposed to be in place are there, are functioning effectively and are being invested in so that, you know, companies don't take advantage of, of workers. It's a tough task, but, um, you know, I think that, you know, this a system, of, a, a capitalist system with, of course, social safety nets in there. We're not talking about a purely capitalist system. We're not talking about bringing back bartering or something like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking more about, you know, the system that we have where we've got social safety nets, but we are we have a marketplace that's allowed to, to, to grow and thrive uh, uh, alongside it. Well, I, I will say this. Um, I appreciate that. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of Scandinavian social democratic policies you might be interested in. <laughs> Hey, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, look, you know, uh, Europe is an example of how, you know, you definitely can marry um, some socialist policies along with uh, some capitalist policies. You know, I think sometimes they may go a little too far, but, you know, at the same time, I think that, you know, you cannot have a true thriving capitalist system without some social, without social safety nets in there to protect, you know, workers. So now that we've kind of talked about this and, and we know that, mm -hmm. You know, your background, you have a, an academic background, you have a master's, and then, you know, you've, you've come up through uh, being a legislative aide and, 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 and bureaucratic positions. Now you're I've, come up, through the, I've come up through the farm system that you, farm that you system. love so much. Like these don't Carper, party work. Carney, like Carper, Carney, so all I have to Correct. So, <laughs> I mean, look. <laughs> I'm not, uh, it's, it's one way of doing it, something. You don't have, you don't have many options in Delaware. Let's just be clear. That's fair. Yeah. So here's what, here's the, here's the important bit. Yeah. So that, you know, sort of, sort of that experience, that track, mm -hmm. if you will, mm -hmm. would lead me mm -hmm. to believe that we have big things. You said, you know, you're not a politician. You're not this, no. you're not that, but like, seems like maybe there are, aspirations or things that you're you're looking to do in the political realm and if you want to break any of those right now uh that would be super um i don't even know what you're asking me right now man you kind of asked a question that wasn't really a question what you asking <laughs> so do you want to announce your uh your run for governor uh in, in, in four years I'm probably, <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, look, man, I am. I, 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 I could be your comms. I, I could be your comms director. <laughs> I think you'd be a terrific comms director. You'd probably get me in some trouble. But, well, you but, think? But, <laughs> <laughs> you'd probably give me a little bit of trouble. But no, nah, man, look, you know, I, I, I really believe that, you know, I don't think I'm a politician, man. You know, I, I, I look at government, like I said, as sausage making, and I kind of see myself as a butcher. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm the guy who kind of can help, you know, hopefully get things done 
uh, behind the scenes. There's a lot of great people out there who might be considering running for pol- running for office and things like that. But I feel like you got to have people, you know, like me, um, uh, 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 maybe not me, but like me um, uh, uh, around um, who aren't really looking to run for office themselves, but, you know, are really just looking to kind of do the work uh, that's necessary to get the job done. And I think that one of the, you know, I consider myself, you know, progressive. And I think one of the things that we're screwing up with as as progressives is we're only thinking about the political system from, you know, legislative lens. And while that's important, you know, within administrations, within the bureaucracy, um, you can have, you know, progressive politicians all you want. But if the people who actually write the regulations to these laws are, you know, are not you know, progressive as well. If those people are, are, if you don't have people coming up through that system who are learning how government operates, who are learning how state budgets operate, who are, are, are understanding these things, then we do a disservice to that movement and the people who really expect that movement to deliver uh, once you get in. Um, and so, you know, I'm re- I really think that's important. And so if I can be helpful um, from that perspective, you know, um, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, in, in this capacity or something else, then, you know, that's what I would really love to do. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a weird guy, man. Like I was, when I was little, man, I, I, you know, everybody wanted to be like Mike, you know, and I was really looking at, you know, the, the, the folks who were around the organization who, was make, who were making it, the whole thing work. And, you know, everybody, when you look at the game, you only see the guy who's shooting the baskets on, on the court. You know, you don't see the person in the front office who put it all together um, and, and brought all of those personalities together, the coach on the sideline who makes them all, you know, work in, 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 in collaboration. And, and if you only have guys who are out there shooting on the court and you don't have that other infrastructure in place, then, you know, your team is not going to be that successful. And so, you know, that's kind of how I've looked at it, man. And, and I haven't really – you know, thought about running for office or anything along those lines. I think a part of it is because I've seen it so much that it kind of loses its patina, you know, you know. I can appreciate that, yeah. It's because, it <laughs> you know, like I, I'm, I'm sort of in the same position you're in. Like I'm doing something here where like I, I just don't have the temperament or the disposition or anything. <laughs> and so I know that I, I would never do it. But like, you know, I have been um, at least connected to, um, you know, some campaigns. I've also yeah. been connected where I've met people through other activism and organizing I've done, like in the political mm-hmm. realm. Uh, it looks, it's not for me. Yeah. Not for yeah, me. You know, so I, I feel that. And I understand that, you know, and it doesn't have to be for everybody. I think what folks have to understand is, you know, when it comes to a movement, man, everybody has a role to play. And, you know, everybody can't be the head organizer. You know, everybody can't be that person. You know, everybody can't be the volunteer coordinator, you know. Um, and so you need people that are going to serve in different roles and different capacities uh, to make sure that you can get the job done. And so, you know, I think that more people should take a broader look at their impact, you know, look at nonprofits, you know, look at what you could do for, you know, whether it be running for office or, you know, whether it be trying to get into, you know, an administrative uh, position in one of these agencies. I mean, you look at how this CARES Act came out. You know, all the politicians passed a law that was great, good, you know, pretty good law, did some really good things in it, you know. Um, but then after they passed the law, the law went to the Department of Labor, 
and they got the right regulations for how the law was actually going to work. And so you could have, you know, a, a Democratic, con- I mean, a, 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 you know, House of Representatives, uh, and as great as Nancy Pelosi is, uh, once that bill goes to the administration and the bureaucrats actually start cutting it up and creating regulations, you know, you can really water down a bill's or uh, law's impact um, through that process. So it's important that if we're going to, you know, fight a battle for, you know, the betterment of society, that we not just fight on one front. Well, I do agree with that. Um, I disagree with the Pelosi comment. We're uh, Shahid Batar guys. We do not agree that Nancy Pelosi is that great, but that's fine. Uh, I, I want everybody listening to this to give $5 to Shahid Batar right now. Uh, Saram, you man, can't thanks. take it away. You can't take it away from Nancy, man. She, she, why, look, why can't this, I? Because look, this is what I say. This is what I say. Look, I don't like, I, I, I don't like where this is going. Look, 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 this is what I'll say. This You've been good so far. Don't do this. Look, look, Don't look, do this. You, I feel you. This we're is still recording. We're still recording. I, I want you I, to know I, we're still recording. I, I, I feel you, but, 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 but hear me out. Hear me out. Um, from the standpoint that we're talking about Nancy Pelosi as a woman in Congress who is taking on the establishment uh, Republicans right now and in the past, um, Nancy Pelosi has been a very, very important political figure when it comes to trying to get legislation done. People can disagree with the type of legislation that she's gotten out and things like that, but when you start talking about someone who um, can actually get things done in there, she's done, she, she, she has done that and she's earned her place in history. Now that doesn't mean that you have to agree with her politically on everything, uh, but just recognizing her impact over the last 20 years I suppose uh, I would uh, argue it like this. I would argue that yeah. any any speaker of the House of Representatives is going mm-hmm. to have a large hand in whatever business the House of Representatives does. Mm-hmm. And so I recognize that that is a fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That look, that's all I'm saying. I'm not I'm not knocking I'm I'm not saying that, you know, the politics are always uh there, but you know, her impact, she's made her she's made her point, place in history. And um, as as probably one of the most capable speakers that we that we've had in a long while, and definitely um, one of, if not the uh, most powerful women that we've seen in politics uh, uh, ever. So, um, for those things and all, I would always speak positively of of Nancy, uh, even to your chagrin. I feel you, <laughs> folks. Uh, it's uh, it's www.patreon.com/slash/thehighlandsbunker. Um, uh, you probably, it's going to be a weird ending because most of that's probably going to be, uh, fucking it out. <laughs> garbage, <laughs> fucking garbage. <laughs> <I'm ready. laughs> that's funny. Uh, Saran, man, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. No, nah, man, no problem, man. Thank you Hello. for having me and again. And definitely, you're definitely coming in here. Yeah. All yeah, right. For All sure. Right. And it's no problem, no problem. But thanks for having me. And I know Carl didn't tap in, but you know, thanks, Carl. That's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> deep state. Carl's the deep state. Carl is the deep state of this, of the Highlands bunker, of our whatever we're going to do in our revolution. Carl is Carl's going to be like the head of the CIA. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. He's got a part to play in the wars to come. No, no, no doubt. <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, be safe out there. Good, good, good work, man. I see you out here.
I appreciate that job. It's incredibly necessary. Even if people don't agree with you and everything that, that you say, um, what you're doing is necessary for the ecosystem. Um, without it, um, there's a huge voice of, of folks that aren't getting out. So, you know, I know you've probably been getting a lot of crap uh, from people. I, I get uh, some from time to saying. time. <laughs> I get some from time to time. Don't, don't let it get to you, man. Don't let it get to you. Keep up the good work. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thanks a lot, man. Peace. All right. All right, Left is best, everybody. Always remember that. <laughs>